And um, the husband's played by, what's this actor's name? Bruce Benedict? Bruce Bennett. Is it Bennett? Bennett, yeah. Bruce Bennett, Bennett, you're right. Bruce Bennett, yes. The wonderful, um, what's his name? He's so good. Uh, I can't Zachary Scott. Warming Creep, but the other one who helps Mildred, and he used to be Bert's partner, Jack Carson. Oh, Jack Carson. Jack Carson, yes, of course. Jack Carson is great in this role. He's very, you kind of hate him, but you kind of like him. Yeah. He, He straddles that line. And Zachary Scott, you just hate. And I love it. I, I, I'm obsessed with Zachary Scott. I, I, I have to admit, there's something so slimy about him. And yet every time, as slimy and unlikable and horrible as he is, there's something you sense beneath the surface. He was actually a pretty nice guy. Yeah. I wish I knew more about him. Oh, there really I, wasn't that much about him well, written. Um, I talked to an author who wrote a book about Zachary, and I had him on the show. And he was really a complex dude. Um, He had the best eyelashes in the world. My goodness, those (laughs) doe eyes. And um, he, he, but he played Wormy Creeps to perfection. But you know, he he died young. He was an alcoholic. He had some run-ins with the law, et cetera, et cetera. And he had some, pro- you know, so it was an interesting I'd like, book. I'll have to listen to that episode it's, and I want to read the book too. Yeah, I'm it's interested very in good. Exactly yeah. What, okay. What's it? Some, I can't remember, but, oh, actually it's about underrated actors and it's not all just about Zachary, but we just concentrate, uh, we did the whole thing, but we concentrated a lot on Zachary. So it's very oh, okay. good. Very, very good. And he was something else. You'll like him. I like well, speaking him. of people from Texas, you know, he was from Austin, Texas. Joan Crawford was originally from San Antonio, Texas. So we have two Texans here on the screen. Uh, and they're great together. I mean, everybody's great in this movie. I feel like it's – and Blythe, of course, we should oh give a shout-out to. Oh, my God. Was this her first Vita. film? She was wonderful. It was one of them. Yeah. She's amazing. She's this teenage vixen, just haughty, miss know-it-all, and you just buy it fully lock, stock, and barrel. She's great. Looking down at her mother. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's so condescending, you know, to her working-class mother, uh, as if she's not working-class herself. Right. But that's another story. But, no, I I love this movie. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, It's I think all the cast were working at their best. I think Curtiz did an amazing job directing. Uh, You know, everything about it just works on every level. But Joan is the linchpin. I mean, it wouldn't work without her. Oh, yeah. Eve Arden is in there as well. Oh, Eve, yes, we should talk about Eve Arden. It's actually, I think you get three dynamic dames for the price of one. Yes. With Eve, you get Anne Blythe. Joan. And Joan. Heads them all. Yes. What more to say about, about that movie? I just, I, you know... Again, if people have only seen Mommy Dearest, you've got to watch the actual Joan Crawford in Mildred Pierce. Also, you know, watch her in Daisy Kenyon, another one I about love a that dynamic one. game. Yes, I love yeah, that one. right with with our beloved Dana Andrews, and Penny you should Fonda. also watch Flamingo Road, which is another Michael Curtiz kind of feminine. Scott. 
Noir with Zachary Scott. These are some great movies. You know, none of us, Joan was, was another complicated person, and none of us were, were there when she was doing all these abusive things to her daughter. So many of them have been disputed. I'm not taking her side and saying she was mother of the year. Definitely she had some issues. But I'm just saying, I feel like people should give her a fair shake as this woman who came from nothing. I mean, she was dirt poor in mm-hmm. Texas. She had no hopes of ever doing anything except maybe marrying, you know, getting married. And she became one of the world's biggest stars, and she did it really on her own. She She's did. a self-made woman. She's yeah. amazing, and I loved her. And her career, I mean, she, she worked through her career. She had some great roles in the 50s. In the 60s, mm-hmm. Betty, uh, whatever happened to Betty Davis, whatever happened to Baby Jane, and then she did, you know, some crap. Yeah, Berserk, and she did with the axe murderer lady. Is that Berserk? <laughs> oh, that's good. No, <laughs> that's a good movie, actually. It's I like it, but crazy, I can't, but it is. And then the daughter has her dress up and the and the wig and yeah. the, this whole outfit. And do you know who the husband was who she kills? Lee Majors. Who? Oh, right. Yeah. That's, well, now I can't even think of the name of the movie. Um, what is it? The Straight Jacket. Straight Jacket. Straight Jacket, yes. 1964. I mean, Joan was in her 60s, or just about 60. Mm-hmm. She was, and she was playing in these flashback scenes, like a woman in her 30s. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just got to give the woman her due. I love She Joan. was kind of amazing. And I'm with you on, on, uh, on, Christina's book because you know she came up with a new revelation did you know this that she you know her mother she died whatever I I think the thing that Joan knew was that she was writing a book about her um yeah I you know you don't produce a book like that overnight and the thing was that Christina just recently maybe a few years ago came out with the fact that um Alfred Steele didn't die of a heart attack Joan pushed him down the stairs and murdered him Oh, come on. Oh, dear. Right? Yeah, I think Christina's... Re- I mean, well, I've always been suspicious of um, of uh, Christina's claims because, you know, again, she wrote the book, she published the book as soon as her mother died and couldn't defend herself. So that's a little bit tacky thing to do to your mom. But I know they had they had their, their problems. So I'm not, I'm not denying that Christina could have, could have been parented better. I'm not <laughs> either. All. My other point is that... Joan, when she did these things and people talk about it, Joan didn't think there was anything wrong with the punishments she was meeting out to her daughter because she was doing it in front of people. If you're, if you think you're being abusive, you're not going to show the whole wide world that you're being abusive. Not saying that it wasn't abusive, but I don't think she was as much of a monster as Christina made her into. I I feel like she wasn't either, but you know, none of us were there, but all the more reason why we, we, you know, we can't really come down with a harsh judgment either way. No, we weren't there. And you can't take away from Jones being the star. I mean, she was a huge star and, and she did some great films for what, from the twenties into the sixties. So we, we have to give her some major props there. Incredible. Yeah. So she was definitely a dynamic dame in the movie and out of the movie. She was fabulous. Agreed. Next, who is our next dynamic dame? Well, let's circle back to that Ida Lupino and one of my favorite roles she's ever done, Lily Stevens in Roadhouse from 1948. I don't think a lot of people have seen this film, so tell tell them about it. 
Yes, uh, I presented it. I was lucky enough to be one of the the uh, people introducing it uh, at the last TCM Film Festival before we entered into no festivalville. Yeah, no, no, our no festival world um, that we're still in. Uh, but it was a great audience for this film. But I think a few of them were there thinking maybe it was going to be the Patrick Swayze Roadhouse from 1989. <laughs> I have to say, does he play a bodyguard or something? Right. Yeah, that's a crazy movie. No relation whatsoever to this roadhouse. But you're right. People don't know this one as well. They really should. It's a great um, film noir and it's a great role for Ida. And it's a really rare one in that um, we don't want to give away the ending, but uh, she kind of saves the day in the end. She's really the hero. At first, you think she's the typical femme fatale coming between these two men who work at this roadhouse out in the middle of nowhere, played by uh, the wonderful Richard Woodmark, who you love to hate, and the wonderful Cornell Wilde. And then we have Celeste Holm in there, another dynamic game. I like her very much. Yeah, she's great. So uh, Lily comes to work in this roadhouse. She's the singer who plays piano, and she does a knockout job at the piano, don't you think? Yes. I mean, they, they keep saying she doesn't have much of a voice, but uh, I love uh, uh, Celeste Holm has a great line. She does more without a voice than, than – uh, than anybody I've seen with a voice. What is it? I totally messed that up. But we get the but, gist. <laughs> we get the yeah. gist. She has kind of a raspy, cigarette-y uh, uh, voice. Well, very, as she should have, because Ida was smoking. And, I mean, she started very young, and Ida was smoking her head off forever. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. She was a chain smoker. Lily's a chain smoker. But you got to love her. She's just very charming. She's very, she has a lot of attitude. Um, but she sort of comes between these two men and... Um, Jeffy. Jeffy. <laughs> Jeffy. Oh, Lord. Jeffy. Richard Widmark uh, decides he decides that he's going to marry her without her knowledge, and she's supposed to just be overjoyed about it. Well, it, she really gets in trouble, as does Pete, when she falls for Pete instead, Jeffy's best friend. Uh, so the, then it becomes a love triangle scenario. But it's it's a really great movie. It's got a lot of uh, funny lines, and and you know it's no accident that Lupino she's top build over her two male co-stars, and she gets some great lines, and it's really kind of her movie. Well, that's because she found the story, and she commissioned it. She, or she actually, she commissioned the story to be written and took it to Fox and sold it to them as a star vehicle for herself. So she, this was right before she started directing. So she was already negotiating deals. She was a powerful producer. She was just working up to directing at that point, And she was at the top of her game. I love that movie. She's great. I love the bowling scene. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah. And I just love, you know, she's a cutie. She's, you know, a tart tootsie. She's a dynamic dame. She's, she's a tough broad with a heart of gold. And um, mm-hmm. she falls for Cornell Wilde, who uh, also had that lovely Jean Tierney fall for him. And uh, what's that one? All that heaven allows, or is that that's a? I always get Leave that mixed up. Leave it right. Away. That's the one with the those rock and movies. Jane. Yes, those heavens. They always get to you. But what a great movie that was, and um, and I just love Ida. How, how much more can we say? She is dynamic. She saves a day. We're not going to spoil it for you. And she 
and I love Celeste Holm. She's so she's so great, you know. I hated her hairdo, you know, with the all about Eve hairdo. But when if you've seen Gentleman's Agreement or something, she's got the long hair and it's like putting it back. She is absolutely stunning. Yeah, in this movie too, in Roadhouse, she yes. has the long hair. Yeah. She looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, but then Ida has terrible hair in this movie. She does. So you can never have it all. No, you can't. <laughs> she really does. <laughs> She's got those weird Frankenstein uh, Boris Karloff bangs <laughs> within the sort of wings yeah. about to be airborne on yeah. the side. I'm not sure that that's her best look, but no. you got to kind of ignore that. No, you just have to take her all in because she's she's a hunk of broad. She's a great dame, and she saves the day. So it is, like I said, I don't think a lot of people have seen it, but it is definitely worth a look. I don't know if Eddie's played this on he must have at some point on um, Noir Alley, but check it out. It's really very good. And Ida's fab. And so is the whole cast. They're great. And good choice there, Sloan. Again. Yes. Oh, look at him looking at her hair. Don't now. Oh, my God. It's a hair don't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But we were talking about our pandemic hair, so I guess <laughs> we can't talk. <laughs> well, she didn't have the excuse of a pandemic. That's though. true. She's sure getting dolled up. Yeah. Who is next? Is it our Christine Vole? Our Christine Vole, mm-hmm. that fabulous, uh, wily woman, Marlena Dietrich in Witness for the Prosecution. Do you know she was 57 years old in yes. this film? Can you believe yeah, it? Yeah, I can't. I can't. She looks maybe 45, maybe. She knew how to light herself. She She just was amazing and she never had she did that facelift which must have hurt you know with the bobby pens and stuff like that um ouch yeah i've had her her grandson on twice peter and he's fabulous and he comes to my page so if you guys come to my uh facebook page look for peter reva because he's on there ask him a question about marlene if you're a fan and he will be happy to answer you um but also listen to the podcast they're great and marlene was fabulous what can we say but this movie, go on she about was. this film. Well, I, I the reason I picked this film out of all of Marlena Dietrich's, you know, impressive body of work. I mean, Blonde Venus, I love Shanghai Express, all of her 30s films with, um, of course, directed by Von, Stern, Von Sternberg. But, you know, this one really stands out to me in a career as, a, as, as her most, you know, her just kind of most feisty and, uh, and uh, I guess, dynamic dame. There's mm-hmm. no other way to say it Mm-mm. in her career because she's uh, she's this woman who, well, you know, it's too convoluted to go into the plot if you haven't seen the movie, but you have to see the movie if you haven't. It is amazing. She's amazing in it. Uh, she had worked uh, with Billy Wilder on A Foreign Affair in 1948. So she brought the property, which was, of course, a... Um, Agatha Christie novel. She brought the Agatha Christie property to Billy Wilder and said, I'll only play the part if you direct. So again, you know, like Garbo and Queen Christina, here's a woman who's using her fame and using her power and her clout to get the projects done that she wants. And a quick aside, I have to say that I think a lot of people don't realize that that was going on in classic Hollywood. I, I, I seem to surprise people when I tell them that these actresses had so much power uh, to, to really shape their own careers. I think there's a myth that a lot of people buy into that, you know, that back in those days, the studio 
CEOs were just the boss and they handed the assignments to the women and the women were just sort of, you know, indentured servants. Well, there was the high echelon of women, a higher echelon, the stars. Yes, exactly. If they were a big star, they absolutely had power and they could make the movies they wanted and they could do kind of, um, they had had a lot of power. So anyway, this is the case with this movie. So we have Dietrich to thank that the movie exists and that it's as good as it is because Wilder, of course, is a fabulous director. And um, she's a wicked, wanton woman. She then goes full who... gangsta. I love this line. Yep. <laughs> she, <laughs> she goes, goes full, full gangsta, gangsta. and um, with this convoluted case and ends up tricking everyone, including Charles Lawton, who's like this, you know, amazing lawyer that nobody can get anything past, but she gets everything past him. <laughs> she's wonderful. And um, Charles yeah. Lawton's great. His wife, Elsa Lanchester, plays his nurse. And they have a cute little dynamic. Right. Very cute. And they have, um, who else is it? Oh, Tyrone Power. He plays her husband. Yes. One of his uh, last roles, I think, before his untimely death of a heart attack. Yes. And um, she's married to him in the film. And he's accused of murdering this woman who he meets when she's trying on hats. And so it's really, I hate to spoil any part of it. It's so good. I'm not going to, because you know what? I have to say something. Did you know the first time you saw that movie, the the twist with the, not the ending ending, but the other one? Yeah, I did, but not at first. It took me a while to catch on. I didn't either. It's really well done. Yes. Yeah. So I was... Yes, this is a mystery thing we're talking about, but we don't she want to spoil it. Well, we can say that she plays essentially two two, two different roles, roles yeah. in the film. Yeah, yes, and she's great, incredible, and, and sort of like even in her her one persona, she's a double persona there. So she kind of plays three roles in a way, yeah, because she's mm-hmm. she's sort of a dual person. But it's great. She mm-hmm. is amazing. What a great actress. She should have been nominated. I thought she was wonderful in this. I like her. I like her in Stage Fright as well, but that movie is nowhere near as great as this. This is a wonderful film. And um, she is definitely, she's always a dynamic dame, but she is a dynamic dame in this one. That's for sure. Totally. Leaves everybody in the dust. She's I love just, it. It's incredible. And we should point out, of course, I mentioned it was written by Agatha Christie, but we should say that that's another dynamic dame. I mean, do you know only the Bible and the plays of Shakespeare have been read more than Agatha Christie's books? No, maybe they should be in hotel rooms, too, <laughs> underneath, next to the Bible so people can read the Bible and Agatha Christie. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. After you read your Bible or vice versa. But, I mean, yeah, she was an amazing writer. I loved the adaptions on screen. And um, she she was so smart, so clever. Yes. And it it was so good. Yeah, she did a Cockney accent. No coward coached her because she she couldn't say her R's like Kay Francis. She would say, you know, she wasn't an R person. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Mawena, Mawena. I loved her. And then, oh, I loved it when Madeline Kahn did, uh, uh, you know, her her Mawena Dietrich in Waving Saddles. She was wond- wonderful. Yes. Well, I love Madeline Kahn and anything. She was so great. And the funny part is she was really a quiet woman, very, um, and she died much too young. She got married. She was with her, her a guy for a long time, and they married on her 
deathbed in the hospital. She had ovarian cancer. Our lovely Madeline, who I also love. Bless her heart. She's wonderful. She is a treasure. And she was so funny in um, What's Up Doc as well (laughs) as the fiance of Ryan O'Neill. Eunice. Eunice. What riot. Eunice, yes. Oh, God. She was so good. And also in Paper Moon, Bogdanovich. Very good as a movie star in that movie. She was fab. Just fab. But Marlena, what can we say? I mean, she was performing into her 60s. Um, Peter told me a little bit about her. You know, the last film she did, she just made this thing uh, with, was he just a gigolo with David Bowie? That was her last thing. She never even met Bowie, but there was like this whole thing. It was just one teeny weeny scene. And that was the last we saw of Marlena. And um, But this movie is so good. And Tyrone Power, he actually looks older than Marlene in this film. I know. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And I think he's 12 years younger or something. Yeah. He's quite a bit younger. And he looks... Well, Tyrone was not well, as we know. I think yes. he was already having some health problems. And, and his years has caught, had caught up to him. He, but, he, um, he smoked a lot as well. And his father, he was a witness to his father having it. His father was an actor as well. And he was a witness to his father's massive coronary. So maybe right. you live... I think... I don't know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I can't remember what I was going to say. Go Oh, <laughs> sorry. Well, I was just going to say that um, I think in a, in a sense that Power knew that he had the same heart trouble as his right. father. And so he just decided to, like, live it up. People did that more in those days. People yes. were not as afraid of death. I think they were just tougher, a tougher breed of human being. And, and I love them. Me too. I love people from the past, you know, who were, he went to war, he fought in World War II, he risked his life, you know, he died died on a film set like his father, right, of a heart attack. Yes, he was um, in one of those uh, biblical spectacles. He was, I think, um, dueling. And George Sanders was in the film as well. And he loved Tyrone and he did a reading hmm. and I think he actually cried. George Sanders, yes. We are going to be talking about the other Sanders, which I can't wait to talk about, is Tom Conway. Um, yes, the nice, The nicer George Sanders. Anyway, um, Marlene was fabulous, and I just loved her. She was just fabulous, period. And if you know behind-the-scenes stuff, who she talked to, she talked to generals. Um, she talked to everybody. I mean, she was just an amazing woman. And they listened. When Marlene talked, they listened. And... No matter that she can say her ahs, Willie. They loved her. And I love her. And she was fabulous in this and a great choice for Dynamic Dames. Really love that movie and love Marlene. Wonderful choice. Well, how could Marlene not be in a book called Dynamic Dames? I mean, come on. She also, we should mention, really influenced Madonna. Yes. Um, I asked him if she met Madonna, Um, but she didn't. She never met her, but she knew that she was, yeah, she knew that she was influenced by her. And, uh, but there was only one Marlena, that's for sure. Yes, indeed. Okay, shall we move on to our final dynamic game to discuss? Mm -hmm. And that would be uh, one that I threw kind of a curveball in. 
defying expectations with the lovely Audrey Hepburn yes. as Sister Luke in The Nun Story from 1959. Yes, and I was shocked to see Sister Luke in there. And I was really so happy that you had put The Nun Story in there because I thought she did such a great job in that. And I think a lot of people yeah. haven't seen this film because it's kind of the name of it, The Nun Story. Kind of might turn them off a little bit, but it's fascinating. It is. You know, it, it's it's... It's a very, it's a movie of sort of like quiet determination, which is what I think of as as being typical of Audrey Hepburn. And she played a real life person named Gabrielle van der Maal, who became a nun. And, um, you know, it's the reason this movie struck me, uh, and especially Audrey's performance and, and being so powerful when on the surface, like if it were the kind of movie, it's the kind of movie that if you were watching it on TCM in the background and you're exercising and painting your nails and doing other things, you would just think, oh, boring. She becomes a nun and she goes to the Belgian Congo and then she's, you know, whatever. Maybe yeah. has second thoughts about being a nun. Boring. No, you have, to, you have to really watch it because it's one of those movies where there's a constant subtext going on beneath the surface of what you're actually seeing, you know, and that's what makes it so powerful, right? You can really, because Audrey's face and her eyes are so expressive. She was perfect to play this woman who uh, is basically by nature a very independent person. And so she just, her will is constantly conflicting with the will of the Catholic Church. And the nuns. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't, yeah. You can't look at certain people. No, no. Oh, yeah. This this sort of certain sect, especially during this time of being a nun, was very strict. You can't look in mirrors. You can't look at people. You can't speak to people. It's just a whole set of things you're absolutely forbidden to do. And she she kind of, um, she could do it. She had the self-discipline to appear to do that on the surface. But underneath, in her eyes, she's always questioning and she's always wanting to exert her own will. And it's a constant struggle. It's a constant struggle for her. Um, so to me, that was just, uh, you know, one of her best roles that I've I do, ever I seen. I think Audrey so Hepburn too. Do. And I think, you know, you, it, it's maybe a little longer than two hours. And if you do get turned, it's fascinating to see what, I mean, the priests are like the big cheeses always. And it's still that way today. Um, the priest of the big cheeses. I was an altar girl. My mother was very Catholic. And in those days, when Audrey was there and, and in the other times, you know, it was thought that you have to suffer to be closer to God. Suffering. So you have to clean. You have to shut up. Wow. You can't do this. You can't do that. You live in a cell, basically. It's like this little, you know, you don't have a cell door because God forbid somebody could see you naked dressing. But it was a, you know, a small little room with a bed and across and that was about it and it's they marry our lord did you see the wedding ceremony i mean these women are all in bride's dresses which is fascinating think about it and yes it's like being a wife of jesus right uh uh, yes you're god's wife wow aiming for the top (laughs) but he's a bigamist how many women has he married (laughs) that's what i always think of all these women in their bride's dresses and god has all these chicks you know, <laughs> right. Don't be mad at me, but that's just think about it, you guys. He marries all these. No, women. it's a little, it's a little disturbing. And they wear that. their little wedding rings, and they wear those horrible habits. And she wants to be a nurse, and she wants to go somewhere to be of service, to help, and not just be stuck 
in that little place. She befriends a woman in the beginning who ends up scramming because she she's an imp. And she said, I have to have another. I can't do this. You know, the, mm-hmm. the friend in the beginning who's so cute. And she leaves. And um, Audrey eventually goes to the Congo and she meets this gorgeous doctor, Peter Finch. And... Um, and he's an atheist, yes. we should point out. He doesn't believe at all. He's very blunt. He's very forthright. He's a very good doctor. And, you know, and there's sort of like an undercurrent of sexual tension between yes, them. And very at first so. you think it's going to be, it's going to be her temptation. You know, she's going to fall in love with him, but it doesn't really go in that direction. Mm-hmm. He serves to show her sort of how hypocritical she's being to her own nature, you know, suppressing her own nature, not just sexually, but just as a someone who's an independent thinker and a free spirit. Know, yeah, he said you would be the la- you're the last person I should think should be a nun. And um yeah. and it's just so good. They call her back and you know, it's the beginning it's the beginning of World War II, correct? And I believe her father's dead right. and all these things happen. The nuns take her into the room and tell her things. And um it's interesting. It's just her journey as a nun coming and and she's dynamic. Tell us tell us a bit more about her her journey. Well, when you're right, it's the beginning of World War II and again, all these years during her nun's training, her I'm sure <laughs> there's probably another word to it than training, but um <laughs> on her period know. of, you know. I think okay, yeah. maybe not. Or her, 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 you know, her different phases of, of doubting and trying to, you know, become a nun and finally becoming a nun and getting to go to the Belgian Congo and she gets sick there and um, she then she comes back and uh, her whole journey, you know, again, she's sort of suppressing her nature and she's fighting and she's fighting to be a good nun. And, and then finally, when she gets a telegram that uh, I believe it is her father's killed, right? Uh mm-hmm. Yes, or they're put into put into work camps. I think her brothers are captured. Oh. Uh, things are going on with her family, and she gets this telegram. Didn't her friend when, give it to her? Someone gave it to her. I don't think the top nun gave it to her. It was sort of smuggled to her. Remember? I don't think they're even allowed to have telegrams or news of the no. outside world at mm-hmm. all. So I think her, her friend smuggled yeah. it to her. Yes, she was and they smuggled were the, a note. I think underground. They were in the underground. That her father and brothers are in the underground? No, her father was dead, and I think her brothers are in the underground. Okay. So she's, um, thank you, because I've forgotten the details. It's been a while since I've seen it. But but this note that she smuggled uh, lets her know that um, that what's happened. And, you know, that that kind of, um, that kind of sends her over the edge. And then she decides that she thinks maybe being a nun is not for her. Finally, she finally sees that because she can't be objective anymore. She can't be passive anymore. She can't just stand by while Hitler's taking over the world. Right. You know, and um, so that's that's when she rises to the occasion and she says, no, I can't I can't no longer be impartial. You know, and I love that. And I love, I love that that was yeah. Audrey Hepburn, too. That was Audrey. You yes. know, she gave performances in Arnhem during the war in Holland. Right. right. Which was Nazi occupied. She gave performances, danced for the underground to raise money for the resistance. So um, these I think the role fit her to a T and I think she was perfect for it. It's a perfect movie. And she became friends, actually, with the actual uh, nun that it was based on. 
And I love it because, like, they can't talk to you. Once you leave the convent, she gets her, I guess, her clothes she came in with, and that's it, basically. And Audrey changes, and she puts down her nun's clothes and stuff. And then she just walks out a door. She has to be hidden from other Mm -hmm. things, and she walks out a door, and now she's out in the world because she wants to do something. She wants to help. She has to be there. She's got to be a part of the world, not just praying and, and subjugating herself to these other people. Right. Right. It's very powerful. It's a really powerful journey of a woman, you know, uh, coming into her own power as a human being. And I think it's pulled off brilliantly by Fred Zinneman, the director. Yes. He's always good at doing powerful things understated. It Big was never time. preachy. It was never over never, the top, right? Never, never, never. Subtle. And that's why, you know, you might say, because she's so good and she's so, but you see everything within her eyes. And she is a dynamic dame because, you know, there's so much there in her and she she just transmits it through those eyes and her expressions mm-hmm. and her beautiful self and she is definitely a dynamic dame and I was really thrilled that you yeah. chose that well uh thank you I, we also should point out cause I think it's interesting that um you know she wears very little makeup of course when she's the nun she's basically not relying on her typical Audrey Hepburn beauty and fashion plate status and fashion icon status. Mm -hmm. She's relying on just her acting ability. She nails it. And even she was so committed to the role that uh, Audrey, while she was filming this, she avoided looking at herself in a mirror because nuns, in fact, are not allowed to look at themselves in a mirror. So she was committed to it. And um, I'm amazed, you know, to me, this is like an Oscar-worthy role. Me too. I agree. But you know what? People, like I said, a lot of people probably have not seen this film. It comes on TCM maybe twice a year. And I would really, and if check it out. You'll love it. Um, may or maybe you won't. Maybe it's, you think it's boring or whatever. But Audrey is dynamic. Audrey is understated. She's beautiful. Even wearing that horrible nun outfit that they had to wear. You yeah. know, these are like the olden day nun outfits with, you know, the hats and the, the big things that have their hair cut. Yeah, it couldn't butched. be more, it couldn't be more unflattering. And it's so realistic because that's what it was like. And, um, you know, oh, yeah, it, to me, because I, I just grew up, but that, not with those nuns, but I know what they were supposed to do, suffer all this other stuff. And now, now I know groovy nuns. And when I went to, to Catholic school, I had really nice nuns. They didn't have to wear habits. They could have longer hair. They wore earrings. I mean, there were just really some wonderful women. A lot left the church, um, but uh, they were great. Yeah. I, I have they became... wonderful things to say. That's good. I'm glad that you had good experience with nuns. I mean, I think I it became much looser in the United States in the, you know, late 20th century and certainly now. Um, yeah, but some nuns are still like that. Like the lady who uh, became a nun who was an actress, Dolores Hart, they still have to wear those outfits. Um, she wears a beret and stuff. I think she's still alive. But, you know, some nuns still do that, but others don't. You know, they choose different different paths. But Audrey? It depends where it depends what what church you're with and or where what, you are. Yeah, what everything. What does they call it? An order, an order. So I had an the order, sisters yes. of Saint Joseph, and they were groovy nuns. That's all I can say. And um, yeah, so Audrey was wonderful. It is. I think it's one. I'm with you. I mean, the other ones are charming and sweet, and she has. But she's really 
on her own in this. They have great, uh, good actresses as, as nuns and all the other people. But Audrey, until she comes to Peter Finch and all that other stuff, is basically um, just Audrey. And she gives a tour de force. What do you call it? Tour de force? <laughs> tour de force performance. Yes, agreed. <laughs> and it is wonderful. But I'm telling you... Um, Sloan's book, Dynamic Dames, she, 50 Dynamic, what is the name, the total name of your book, Dynamic Dames, tell us. 50 Leading Ladies Who Made History. And they yes, did. Yes, and we've just discussed eight of them, so just think, folks, 42 more. She made great choices, and there's some more modern, for some of you people want some of the more modern um Dynamic Dames, but since this is a classic movie podcast, of course, we're talking about our classic movie, Dynamic Dames. And once again, Sloan is working on another book. Are you done? Yes, finally. (laughs) And it'll be published probably at the end of the year? Later this year, I don't have an exact publication date yet, but I will will let you know. And we will discuss... Yes, it's going to be about the classic movie directors. That's a so tough exciting. That was a big one yeah. for you to do, I think, doing the directors, but they're interesting. Um, and the next thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about our other double. We love Dana. We both have a fondness for that wormy creep, Zachary Scott. And there's our nice George Sanders, Tom, Tom Darling Conway. So he's a he's an interesting dude, and um, I think you're gonna like that show. I know I will. I've been it's been really interesting. We've been do, digging up some as much research and dirt as we can on Tom. Not dirt, but, but just info. He's hard. It's hard to find, and it's if, yeah interesting in George's book. He only mentions his brother in the beginning. Just say and not even a name. My brother when they were in Russia, and and I thought Tom's two years it's older than sad. George, right? Yeah, they were very close. They were so close. It's very sad that they um, that George didn't speak to him anymore because he sort of went off the rails and lost the plot. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about all that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I love this. Uh, I love the Dynamic Dames. Love the book. You guys can get it anywhere. Books are sold. Amazon. Of course, TCM. Anywhere. And I would advise that she chose some really great dames. And you know how I love dames, and especially dynamic dames. So thank you, Miss Sloan. You were fabulous, as usual. And thank you guys for listening. And till next. Thank you, Sloane. Well, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure and any time. And um, till we talk again, everybody. Bye, and thanks for listening. Tinsel Town, they're not only